Thanks for tuning in to The Collective Voice. I'm your host, Raisha Clark. Hello, lovelies. This is Raisha here for another podcast. I'm, again, really excited. And again, I know I say that at the beginning of every podcast, but I'm telling you, you know, just having the opportunity to sit back and chit chat with amazing people that you normally would have never had the opportunity to meet before is just an exciting feeling. I love the opportunity to be able to do so. And so today's guest, I'm equally excited to chit chat with her too. So um, today we have Miss Carol Gee, and she is um, a retiree from the military, and she has done amazing things outside of her military career, which I want her to share with us today because it, she just is the epitome of a person that has not allowed what folks would con- uh, consider, you know, negative circumstances in the military or being, you know, brought down by some of the male-dominant fields that we uh, as women veterans are sometimes in. She hasn't let those things bog her down in her life. She's actually thrived since getting out. And so I'm just really excited to let you all hear from her how awesome she is, one of the most humble women I've ever met with an amazing story and every right to be bold and and prideful, but she is just, she's none of those things. So without further ado, Miss Carol, hello, darling. Hello there, Raisha. How are you? I'm doing really, really well. Oh, I tell you. So just listening to your little voice, I just want to come through the phone and hug you again because <laughs> just because you're just so neat. I mean, I tell you, my kids are like, Mom, you say things are neat all the time. And every time I say that, it has its own unique understanding and meaning, but it's just Gosh, you're such a neat person. Oh, my goodness. I couldn't possibly do a bio of yours any kind of justice because there's so many amazing things that you've done. I mean, you're such an inspiration and a mentor to other women, and and it's just it's nice to be able to sit back and just kind of you know, soak it all in from you because you you exude so much that it's just nice to kind of just be in your presence for a little bit, even if it is over the phone. So thank, <laughs> well, thank you. you. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so let's go ahead and get it out of the way. What branch of service were you in? I served in the U.S. Air Force. Air Force. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you know we what? Used be, we, we used to be known as WAFs, uh, women, uh, W-A-F-S, women of the Air Force. I don't think they use that term anymore, but they kind of a term. <laughs> yeah, they sure don't. They sure don't. And, you know, that's amazing. I'll, I'll always have some sort of banter if someone's on that's not – you know, been a part of the army, but I love that you can actually shed light on that because that's been a little while ago that they went away from the WAFs. And mm-hmm. and so you served during an era where that was still prominent. Oh, yes. I went into the service before there were a lot of women in the military. I actually went into service in 1970. Uh-huh. I tell people I ran away from home when I was 20 years old. You did. <laughs> I ran away <laughs> to the Air Force. <laughs> It was time to do something different. That's that's it, what that it is. It was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so tell me a little bit about your experience. You know, I'm sure that if you're one of the few women that were in there, you certainly have some stories, huh? 
Oh yes, I tell you, I, I told somebody, somebody well when women see me or when young people see me and I tell them about my time in service, I find them staring at me. And I'm like, what? And they say, Well, you don't look like you served in the military. And I mean, what do you mean? And I think a lot of people who have never served have this impression of women who serve, they've been these hard women, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, they the first thing they'll say is you just look so soft. And I tell <laughs> them that my love of pink and foo foo aside I am strong. Yes. Life has life has made me to be. Right. You know. Yeah. And uh, but they're like, you know, I wouldn't have never known that you were in the service unless you said that. So I think the people still to this day have this preconceived notion of what a woman in the military should look like or be like or act like. Mm-hmm. And I've always been, I guess I was one of these sort of feminine-like women, uh, mm-hmm. because that's the way my mom raised me, you know, to carry myself in a way that was dignified. And so that didn't change when I put on combat shoes and mm-hmm. uh, combat boots and, and a uniform. You know? Right, right. Oh, I love that. And And you're right. I think <clears throat> you saw it with your generation of veterans. It's still prominent today. Mm-hmm. A female that's in the military is... Um, for a lack of better words, bitchy and mm-hmm. stern and has no no ability to converse with others without a lot of profanity and they don't really know how to interact. I mean, there are so many stereotypes about what a, a woman veteran looks like that when you see the, what, the pink and the frou-frou has, <laughs> that you're like, there's just no way. There's yeah. just no way. But, I mean, we serve in all capacities. We look like a variety of, of women today. What you see walking down the street might have been a woman that served during, you know, Desert Storm. I mean, you oh, just yeah. don't know. So uh, it's, I find it interesting. You know, I, I would assume that you would probably have heard some of those stereotypes before. Did you oh. have family members, you know, back from your hometown that even questioned you being oh, a woman wanting oh, to serve? yes. My mother uh, worked for or was a civil service. She worked at we were. I was born in Virginia, raised in Washington D.C., and my mom worked for the Library of Congress. Um, she was mm-hmm. a charwoman back in the day. I guess that was called a domestic. But yeah. she worked there for 20 years. But she was also a long, lifelong beautician, licensed beautician. And so uh-huh. I grew up in the beauty shop. Yeah. And when I decided to go into the service, there was all kinds of sort of backlash from women, you know, her customers. They were like, why would a nice girl like you want to go into the military? Mm-hmm. And everybody had a story. Mrs. So-and-so's daughter went into the army and turned out, came back home and, and was a drunk. Mm-hmm. Mrs. So-and-so's uh, na- uh, sister had a cousin uh, who went into the Navy and came back, um, you know, acting crazy. And I always thought to myself, well, heck, you don't have to go into service to do all that. It could be a drunk or act crazy. Right. You know? uh-huh. <laughs> and, 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 but a lot, and, but then there were some that say, okay, I think that'll be a good opportunity for you. And my mother was one of the ones that questioned it. Cause she said, honey, you, you, you headstrong. You don't like to be told what to do. <laughs> so you're probably never going to make it in the air force. Cause they'll tell you what to do. She she just didn't realize she was a good lesson for me, honey. She could have been a drill sergeant. Okay. <laughs> so, so 
so I actually I was really surprised that you know I was used to being obedient and stuff you know yeah. so it uh you know it wasn't that much difference of course cleaning the grout from the latrine with a toothbrush that was mm. a little much in yeah. basic training <laughs> there's that that is real that is not just in the movies that is real <laughs> but you know when I went in I really believe that because there were not as many women as there are now my superiors and my supervisors really didn't know what to do with us mm-hmm. I pretty much I guess I had to set the standard of what a female airman was to be like and to act like and I always kind of kept that in back of my mind of how to act I always wanted to act in a way that was a lot different from what people expected a military yeah. woman to be and act like oh love that so you were mentoring early on and didn't even I realize think so, and I probably the... did, didn't know it but I probably yeah. was you know mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. then on the on the flip side there were like my supervisors who still were kind of old school and they weren't used to having women so I really think that they sort of babied me a funny thing happened um just about a year ago my very very first supervisor um, at my base, uh, Mountain Home, Idaho. If any Air Force people are listening, that was my <laughs> first base after basic training and tech school at Lowry. And uh, he, this is Mountain Home, Idaho, a uh, small, small base, probably 50 miles from Boise. And Mountain Home at the time didn't have hardly anything. The nearest town was 10 miles, and most of that was sagebrush. Oh, wow. And But my first supervisor was the loveliest man. He put me in mind of my dad, but uh, he, used to, he used to smoke cigars. He loved Jim Bean and smoked cigars, and he used to always mm-hmm. carry an extra cigar in his socks. I thought that was kind of cute. <laughs> well, you know, one day I was doing working on an article, and I was, of course, using a Yo Google, which is everybody's friend. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, I wonder if he is still alive. And I Googled him, and his name came up, and I still a present address on the phone, and I called him. It's been 45 years, and wow. he is still alive and still crazy. And so we <laughs> have made contact, and I was so happy. He's 80, he told me he was 85 years old last year, so obviously he's 86 now. Still sounded the same, and it was wonderful because I got a chance to tell him how much he meant to me in those early days. Mm, I love that. Oh, I love that. And he was still sound mind and all of yeah, that. Still a sound mind. His uh, wife, his wife had passed. He and his wife just embraced me. They had children of their own and mm-hmm. they just embraced me. His wife worked at the BX, the local BX, and he told me that she had, had passed. But he had a lovely lady friend. I thought that was so cute. At 86 years old, he had this lovely lady friend. And he sent me a card with her picture and he still looked the same. Oh. I was so happy to tell him. I was so happy to get a chance to tell him how much he meant to me and how, you know, he really protected me Mm -hmm. and kind of made my transition from a scared little girl into the soldier and warrior that I became. Oh, I love that. I love that because we 
despite some of our horror stories that we, you know, think are awful at the time, and some of them truly are, but I think that we can find nuggets of goodness throughout. And I had several mentors that, you know, you had one at your first duty station. Mm -hmm. I had one as well at mine. Um, So in first class, Larry Keys, I'll never Mm -hmm. forget him. You know, I mean, just this Mm -hmm. big Papa Bear, six, five. I'm like, are you too tall to be in the military? (laughs) You know, I thought there's got to be a height requirement. You know, I'm five, three on my very best day in combat boots and so you know, he's just a big old bugger bear but sweetest disposition no nonsense but mm-hmm. it's still a really nice disposition and so you know he was one of those that I, I never wanted to disappoint oh, me, so, me too I was the same way about with uh, Sergeant Wright yeah uh, you know he he this he, I think he helped me to blossom just mm-hmm. his guidance and you know mm-hmm. and just he was a, like a no-nonsense kind of person like I said anybody who carried drank Jim Bean and carried cigars in their socks you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah yeah but uh but he I just thought he was just great and I actually really looked forward to going to my little military job because mm-hmm. he was you know in, in his own way he's still a little bit gruff but also personable you know yeah yeah and that those two persons personality traits really can coexist. I mean, I Mm -hmm. saw it a lot and apparently Mm -hmm. you did too. Mm -hmm. And so the job that you did in the military, was it just women only go and and type all day? Were you dealing with um, male soldiers every day? I mean, how, what did your experience look like? Well, I was in base supply. Uh, I was an inventory management specialist. That was the correct title, but it was base supply. I Mm -hmm. worked in base supply. And for pretty much my entire uh, military career, it was either supply or logistics. Mm-hmm. And um, the first, my first job with um, Sergeant Wright, there was three of us females uh, in our department. And um, but for people who are familiar with supplies, we go into any organization and right. we're your supply expert. You yeah. know, we're the people that help you to uh, order paint. Mm-hmm. or bolts for the aircraft uh, uh, doors and mm-hmm. uh, nuts and bolts and anything that you need, I would be the person that, you know, you contact Sergeant G, I want to order 10 gallons of paint to paint the warehouse. Yeah. And I would be the person that would get on the computer, you know, ring it up, and then somebody would, the person in the in the, in the uh, inventory uh, warehouse would take it up, and somebody else would deliver to the flight line to the customer. Mm-hmm. So um, my first uh, with Sergeant Wright my, was three of us female, but throughout my career, it was a mixture of men and women. Mm-hmm. Except for one of the bases that I was stationed in, uh, I was the only female in the entire civil engineering squadron. And, you know, um, you touched on that a little earlier, and it's like that in the Army as well. If you're base supply, if that's if you're a supply specialist, you can be assigned to any, any unit, place. a mm-hmm. combat unit, mm-hmm. a hospital unit. I mean, the mm-hmm. sky is kind of like a cook. You yeah. go wherever the mission needs you. Mm-hmm. And, and so, that's what my husband was. My husband was in food service. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So And so then you stumbled upon a unit that was male dominant. Okay. Oh, yeah, male dominant. And there was when somebody asked me one day when we were talking, some person, we were talking, they asked me that I ever experienced sexual harassment. 
Mm-hmm. And for what I understand sexual harassment to be was touches or looks or innuendos or anything that made me feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a scenario. Being the only female in the civil engineering squadron at that time, we were stationed at Myrtle Beach, um, South Carolina. That base has since closed, I believe. Mm-hmm. But anyway, when we would have commander's call, which uh, most of you people know, that's sort of like staff meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whenever the, the commander at that time would come in, he, when everybody st- stood up. And then, of course, he'd say, seats, gentlemen. And Sergeant G, is Sergeant G here? <laughs> and I'd say, yes, sir. And he'd say, stand up, Sergeant G, let us look at you. And somebody oh, asked no, me if no. they thought that was sexual harassment. I said, no. I did at the time. I didn't know what sexual harassment was, but I said mm-hmm. it didn't make me feel comfortable because I knew I looked cute in my uniform. <laughs> <laughs> and that could have been sexual harassment, but at that time, I didn't know it. And it didn't make me feel bad, you know? Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. You feel like I, I carry myself well. I'm put yeah. together well. I look That's good. Right. I smell my good. My uniform is looking good. You know, so hey. So it could have been sexual harassment, but at 21 years old and new to the service, how do we know? Exactly, exactly. And so that's why I love, you know, having an opportunity to interview veterans because I want them to share stories just like you're doing now to say, "Uh, that might be a touch inappropriate, but you're in the moment. You don't realize that you you might find it flattering. I would have. Okay. Look at me. I knew I I looked cute. You know, Yeah. 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 I ironed really well last night. I know I looked good. But and another thing, my supervisor at the at that base, it was just two of us in the supply wing, and my supervisor, whenever they had the civil engineering guys, uh, would have like um, I guess field exercises. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't wouldn't let me go to the field exercises. He was overprotective. He said I wouldn't feel comfortable with you being out there with all those men. But, you know, I've always been a person that was outgoing and friendly. So mm-hmm. there were a lot of the guys that were in the squadron who I considered to be my brothers. Mm-hmm. You know, we I would go out and see them if I got tired of sitting in my office. I'd go to the carpenter shop and talk to a couple of guys I know. Or I'd go to the paint shop or whatever shop and, you know, visit. And mm-hmm. I always felt that if anybody did something untoward to me, a number of those guys would put them in check. Yeah, but my supervisor was more comfortable with me staying in the, you know, in the office. And I did. I did my job. And like I was sitting in the office while they were out doing, you know, a camp out overnight. Right. Um, but, you know, I was there, you know, ordering supplies uh, for, you know, other things, other work to be done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that just shows you that the times that they weren't quite sure what to make of females, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I get that. And, you know, I, I wonder how many women ha- are experiencing something similar to that now. You know, as we fast forward, you know, a couple of decades, it's just like, I wonder if there's been a momentum shift. Um, I was an ammunition specialist my first four years in the Army. And, kind of like supply you you go where the bullets are needed mm-hmm. and so my first duty station was the first infantry division and yes very male dominant um but I had what they needed so we went out to the field a lot and you know that big big O NCO that I had sergeant keys you know he was he was a bit overprotective and only mm-hmm. would send me out because a private wouldn't go by themselves I was new mm-hmm. in the military so I wouldn't go by myself to issue out the ammunition but he would task me with two 
NCOs only. There are only two that he would let me go out to do mm-hmm. those field exercises with. He wanted you to be protected. That's it. Yeah, that's exactly it. And so, you know, as I would grow and started to see what some of the scouting units were like, some of the Delta Force guys, I'm just thinking, woo, okay, I might need another chaperone, uh, you know, I because yeah, I might need those. And, and, you know, I think a lot of it, um, and I, I remember there were a lot of guys, obviously there were guys who didn't think there was a place for women in the right, service, right. but a lot of them were more subtle, I think, then. I don't think I ever remember any of them getting my face saying, you know, you know, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. Right. But, they, you know, there were some that, di- I know there were some that didn't think that I had a place there, but mm-hmm. there were a lot of them that, uh, that didn't care. I guess I was one of them. Mm-hmm. And I remember that there would be times that I had to lift something heavy and one of the other airmen would come and help me. It wasn't that I asked for help because I felt like I could, you know, do it my own. Mm-hmm. And the same way, there are a lot of women, if a man opened the door, they're like, oh, you think I can't open the door? Well, I was raised to be a lady. So if a man wanted to open the door, it's no problem. Because mm-hmm. obviously I can open the door myself. Right. But, you know, if he wanted to open the door, I said, thank you and proceed and go about my business. Right. Yep. It's just that. And so, I think for generations, like a generation and a half, so maybe, you know, 20-ish years, women have in the military have struggled to define where their space is. And so if the military didn't know what to do, well, I'm going to show you what it is. And so I'm going to maybe even overcompensate to show that I belong. And so I think in doing that, all of it is a change and it's a transition, but I think there was some damage that was done because that very scenario that you were talking about, the lifting or the opening of doors, that those have been circumstances where some women would be grossly offended, mm-hmm. would go above and beyond, but then later they're hurt. They mm-hmm. are no longer able to serve in their full capacity because they hurt, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, the door isn't that big of a deal, but it was just one of the, it's the thing that kind of brings tension to a unit that doesn't need to be there. I think courtesy goes a long way. We I want to do too, and that's what I considered it. I considered a person being courteous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't I see fault that in that. Defense because you thought I couldn't open the door. Right. Obviously, <laughs> um, I can. Yeah. Um, I, I, I had, in fact, I had opened doors for men before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So you know, it's just I. I think sometimes we can go a little bit too far trying to make our place known when we really can just be in the moment, be present, do our very best, and then mm-hmm. let the day fall as it may, you know, but I, I don't think we don't have to go above and beyond necessarily. But, you know, there are women that definitely disagree with my stance on that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we, they have a right to agree or disagree. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, mm-hmm. all, we all have our opinions. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Every last one of us has several of them. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's true. So tell me, after the military, what did life look like? Well, as we were talking earlier, I went to college. I stayed on active duty for nearly eight years. Or I think it, they give you the early out, so if it's something like seven years and nine mm-hmm. months or something like that. And when I got out of the, uh, the when I left active duty, um, I liked supply. I liked base supply. I just couldn't see doing it 20 years. Right. Whereas my husband was in food service and he easily made a career out of it. You know, mm-hmm. he enjoyed it. In fact, uh, he recently retired. 
retired from his uh, civilian, his second civilian job, oh, where he my. was assistant director in food and nutrition at the at the local hospital here, well-known hospital here. And again, he was a spy, so totally, he did almost 42 years in food service. Mm, so, you know, mm-hmm. but I yeah. did not think that I wanted to do what I wanted to do for for eight for more than eight years. So then the question is what to do. And my what to do was go to college. Mm-hmm. As at that time, we were stationed in South Dakota. It wasn't a whole lot to do. And so um, the lucky thing about military places, you have branch campuses on pretty much every military base. Right. So there yeah. was really no excuse not to go to school. Mm-hmm. And as we were talking early, I was 27 years old when I went to college and I thought I was behind my peers, my high school friends. And so I was really motivated to getting this completed. And of course, I had the GI Bill. And uh, so I, I did it. I, my goal was to get at least an associate's degree two-year degree, mm-hmm. because as most of us know, unless you're going to an overseas assignment, which is three years or four years if you're in Germany or someplace, that pretty much you want, you don't know how long you're going to be someplace. Right. For example, we were the base where I was at the, um, where I was the only woman in the civil religion squadron, we were only there one year. That was the only base we only served there one year mm-hmm. before we went overseas. And uh, so my goal was to get an associate's degree, which I did. And, um, uh, of course, we stayed there four cold years, but uh-huh. I didn't know that. <laughs> but I did get my associate's degree and able to use my um, basic training um, and the uh, NCO leadership uh, school courses. I was able to use those as electives. And so that enabled me to get a bachelor's degree in a little bit over three years, which mm-hmm. left a year and a few months for me to complete my master's, all courtesy of the GI Bill. Love it. I remember <laughs> I remember it. I think I had one course left in my master's program, master's degree in management and human relations from Webster University in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And um, I was talking to my counselor and I said, I think I'm going to run out of money. My VA counselor, how much, how is this going? He said, frankly, Carol, I think you have enough money to pay for this last course and your books. I'm like, hallelujah, that's all I need. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, that's a hallelujah. That's all I needed. So I ended up getting my master's degree and I thought that I was going to be, again, I still didn't quite know what I was going to be. And the counselor who was um, uh, the the counselor at the Webster's Branch Campus, he uh, had held a full-time job as a director of a mental health center in uh, uh, Somerville, South Carolina. We were stationed in Charleston, South Carolina at the time. And uh, one day he and I were chatting and I said, you know, I'm about to complete this master's degree and I still don't know what I want to do. And he said, why don't you come out and see me at 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 the mental health clinic where I'm a director? He said, maybe you come out and do some clinic intakes, and maybe if you like it, you might even get to see some clients. And my first thought was like, oh, Lord, I don't really want to go out there and hurt some people trying to counsel them. Right. Uh He said, no, I don't think you're going to do that. So I did. I went out, and I did. So we arranged sort of a practicum of so many hours that Mm -hmm. I would be out there, and I started by doing client intakes. And I'm a people person, so I really like talking to people and getting their information. 
and I like the, the counselors that were there, and this one lady who is a licensed counselor, we are still friends to this day, over 30-some years. Mm-hmm. And uh, once I, they decided that I had the intakes down, they said, why don't you see some clients? And so under her directions, and she was licensed, we did some gestalt therapy with, us, uh, with kids and, and adults, and I found I love that. And I'm thinking, I think this is probably be my life's work. But of course, my husband got orders and to go uh, overseas. In fact, we went to Panama. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I said, well, because my thought was if we stay there a little longer, I'd probably go back to school, maybe take some more advanced counseling and perhaps try to get my license. But that was not to be. But in the meantime, while I was still seeing the patients at this mental health, I taught a job, taught a class, an adjunct for, uh, faculty position at a technical school at, uh, in Charleston. And I re- realized, okay, I love teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was adults. So uh-huh. I love that. And so after um, uh, you know, we went to move to Panama, um, I decided that, okay, my uh, change is a little bit, and I really do like teaching and administration, so maybe that's what I'll do. And that's what I ended up doing. Mm. So by the time I had um, taught part-time uh, in places overseas as well as the United States, and um, most recently I worked at Emory University for close to 22 years, and um, I retired about seven years ago. And at that time, I'd had close to 28 years in higher education at the university level. Ah, gotcha. Wow. Wow. I mean, <laughs> we just kind of went full circle there. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I, I've got my hours. I've got my degrees. I have credentials by my name. And mm-hmm. I'm still just kind of wondering, okay, where do I where, put all of this goodness? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Not all this goodness. And what do I do with it? Do you regret the time it took you to find your place as as a civilian? No, you know, I really am a firm believer that things happen when they're supposed to. Yeah, yeah. The same thing that happened, you know, 16, 18, 18, gosh, time has gone by. 18 years ago, (laughs) I finally realized my lifelong dream of becoming a writer and published author. And someone asked me that question. They said, well, you know, would, do you regret not being able to do that sooner? And I said, no, I believe it happened when it was supposed to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I believe everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Yep. I'm, I'm with you on that one. Oh, because, you know, we can try to rush things. Um, but as you were saying a little bit um, earlier about being you know, in your mid to late 20s, starting college and feeling like you're behind with your peers. I was telling you earlier, I I felt that same struggle. I was 29 when I got out of the military and, you know, I was a single mom with two kids and no degree living with my parents. I mean, Mm -hmm. that did not seem like I planned exiting the military well at Mm -hmm. all. And so, you know, I'm grateful that my parents have always been and just a pillar of whatever strength of wisdom of nurture of of tough love I mean they've just been phenomenal people in my life and I know not everyone has such a strong foundation to land upon but my parents were great. I stayed with them for a year as I just kind of sifted through some of those same thoughts you had that I'm behind. My mm-hmm. peers have gone to college and graduate school. They're, you know, three to five years into their career, and I don't even know where to start. I got out mm-hmm. of the military as a um, 
medical equipment repair. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't want to work on hospital equipment. I don't mm-hmm. want to go and work with ammunition, you know. Mm-hmm. So I just felt all of these feelings, and it took an amazing Christian counselor. Um, he's a licensed therapist, but he also came from a Christian perspective. And, you know, he just really made it plain for me as to, you know, the 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 muck you can end up getting yourself into by comparing yourself to other people. I mean, there just really wasn't a place for it. It wasn't really necessary. And he just showed me what I've had accomplished over the last 10 years since getting out of high school. And it's like, oh, okay. You know, and so it really took me that full nine to 12 months to just shift my mentality, get that positive self-regard for myself. And then oh, the sky was the limit. You know, I I knew what I was doing then, but, you know, that transition was a little rough for me. So I'm glad that you shared that you started school late, you know, oh, but yeah. you didn't regret, you know. No, I didn't. I have very little regrets. And one of the things, though, my husband has been my biggest supporter. It's like, if I say, baby, I think I'm going to go out here and swing from the chandelier. He'd probably say, <laughs> okay, now you're probably going to get hurt. Now you know that, right? And I'll say, yeah. He said, but I'll be there to catch you. Oh, um, that's, you know, that yeah. he has always given me sort of this license to be who I was, you know, uh-huh. and I, most of my schooling, as you know, most people know, the military branch campuses, most of the time you're going to school at night. Yep. And so there were so many nights that I was at school and that he had to fend for himself. And even though, you know, he was in food service, he still, he still prefers my cooking. I think he's a little bit spoiled. Uh-huh. So during uh-huh. the day between studying, I would fix, you know, something for him to warm up. But if they, if I was studying for tests and that didn't happen, you know, he just made do. He made a joke one time. He said, I've eaten so many TV dinners, I stopped cooking them. I just put them on a stick and licked them. <laughs> I love him already. I love him already. <laughs> the two of you have found a way to make it humorous. I just so, so he has been my biggest. And I think that all the things that I wanted to do and have tried to do and have done is because he's always been so supportive of everything I have ever done. We've been together 45 years. Oh, wow. And I told somebody that uh, one day. They're like, how old are you? Yeah, you, you must have got married and you were two years old. You know? <laughs> I love it. I, I love it. Woo, that is an accomplishment right there. And then after, you know, I think I mentioned to you earlier that after I left active duty, I still wanted to be a part of the military, just not every day. Mm -hmm. And so I joined the reserves a year after I separated. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I spent the next 14 years uh, in the reserves. And one good thing about that, everywhere my husband was stationed, I was able to do my training. Oh, good. So, yeah. in fact, that was also a good way that between jobs, when he got new orders between jobs, I always had my training, so I always had money coming in. Right. Yeah. 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 That's nice. So it never that wasn't even a hiccup in and of itself. Exactly. I, just, I love how you have found the the ability, the way to see the glass is half full instead mm-hmm. of half empty. Because now, I've always been that way. Because seeing it half empty only brings you down. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think you can really just kind of get bogged down. And mm-hmm. you knew you're going to be moving every few years because your uh-huh. husband was still in the military. Mm-hmm. And so you just kind of accepted that was going to be your fate. And mm-hmm. you made lemonade out of what, you know, some folks some would call, yeah, you yeah, know, some yeah. lemons. So 
I, I I've love always that. been, I've always been, I feel like I've always been blessed too. When we went to Panama, I am, um, we were, like I mentioned, we were in Charleston, South Carolina, and one of my neighbors lived down the street from me. Her husband was also active duty. And mm-hmm. so they got orders to Panama about a year before we came. So of course, you know, she and I were corresponding. I wanted to know what it was like, what Panama was like. So I sort of knew what to expect, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, she wrote to me that a couple of times that she loved Panama. Panama is a beautiful country. I loved it, my, loved it myself. But she had a hard time finding jobs. She was used to being like in, you know, the sales like BX and Walmart, you know, places like that. Right. And she said that a lot of military spouses were not able to find a jobs. And so that was sort of a, you know, a thing over there. And so it was really the funniest thing. Once we got there and I got my household goods and I settled my, getting my husband settled so he could go to work that has always been my utmost importance, keep getting our home together. Because mm-hmm. I figured once he was able to go on and do his military thing, but, you know, I'll do my thing later. Yeah. And uh, so uh, once we were there and my household goods came and I arranged my household goods and I reported to the base, the base supply in Panama. And I went to talk to his supervisor. I had my little orders in hand and I told him to introduce myself. And I said, I'd like to do my military training here. And I guess he had to do some paperwork somewhere. And uh, he said, um, Sergeant G, it would be lovely to have you. And so I started, you know, my training and I'd probably been, I probably did two training periods, uh, did monthly trainings. I probably had done two monthly trainings when the day that he was supposed to sign off on my paperwork, he said, by the way, he said, I have a temporary GS4 position that's open. He said, it's going to be temporary, maybe about six months. Do you think you'd be interested in that? And he said, it's in the same office. And I said, sure. <laughs> and so I dare go. We've been there less than a month. I already had um, or two months. I already had my reserve unit. And now I was going to have a temporary civil service job. Yeah. I think somebody was on leave or something. Uh-huh. And uh, it was the funniest thing. One day a month, I would go in in my uniform and the rest of the time, I used to be close. So I think the people that work the same must have got a spy or something. I'm like, how do you do that? <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. And then after that was almost over, I was, and I always talk to people. I'm a talker. My husband is not so much, but I am. <laughs> and That's all the kindred spirit. I think uh-huh. so. And so I was talking to somebody one day, and I told them I had a master's degree, and I had taught. And this lady said, well, the University of Texas, Kyleen Branch, is right across the street from your house. How lucky could that be? You know, wow. go in and talk to this woman, you know, take your paperwork and see if maybe you could teach something part-time. Well, that's what I did. My class was literally across the street in the building from my house. Oh, my word. So I taught a class of applied management for soldiers. And so my friend who had been there a year before, she said, oh, is it, I've been here a year and you've been here, you got three jobs. <laughs> and I said, I guess it's because I'm flexible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just kept, I figured something was going to happen. And I just, you know, had that premise. I'm going to go and I'm going to do this. and I'm going to talk to some, be- some people and hopefully something will turn about. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly it. And it just happened to work out that way. Yeah, it just happened to work out that way. <laughs> 
I um, felt very blessed. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Oh, I love that. So I I could keep you on the phone forever talking about just some of the neat things that you've done. But before we get off, tell me about your books, because I have had the privilege to read some of them. So I want you to share um, about your books. Well, about, as I mentioned, about 18 years ago, I'd always, I'd always dabbled in writing as a child. I made up little short stories to entertain my younger sister. And then mm-hmm. probably, I think it was 2001, I had an epiphany. It was about uh, two months or so before my 50th birthday. Mm-hmm. And I said to my young woman who I love and I mentor, she came for dinner. And I said, you know, if I'm ever going to do this writing thing, the, t- the time is so to be now. My life is, you know, getting away from me. But what to do? What should I write about? And they always tell you, write what you know. And then I'm thinking, okay, what I know about the Air Force may not be a good book for everybody. <laughs> right. But I can tell you about being a girl, being a female. The Day in the Life of a Modern Woman. That's what I'm going to do. So I started this little blog on the feminine side. Uh And uh, my first debut piece was one day I went to work and something happened that went my whole day. It's when I realized I had worn the worst bra I owned. And how it took on a life of its own. One strap fell down on the shoulder. I pushed it up. The other one fell down. And I was sitting at my desk on my job at Emory. And I'm thinking, I got to do something. So I run into the restroom trying to get my bosom together. And I messed with it so much that one of the underwires poked out. But then I couldn't push it back. And so, so I just pulled it out. So all that day I was uplifted on one side and not so much on the other side. And so on my lunch break, I wrote about that frustration. And I sent it to a girl. I said, girl, this happened to me. And so I sent it to her. And then she said, can I send this to my mom? Can I send this to my sister? And that's how the On the Feminine Side blog began. And so on the weekends, if something silly happened to me, I shared it. And then women came up to me, girl, I love that. You know, I had a bra like that one time. And then there was Uh something else. Every diet that I've ever been on that failed me, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's how my debut book, The Venus Chronicles, came about. It's sort of a spoof Uh on Men from Mars, Women from Venus, the Mm -hmm. differences. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so, and after that, again, women said, you know, this book is like a girlfriend book. This is kind of stuff that girlfriends talk to each other about. Yeah. And it was, I realized it was. And so women have started to coin my books, girlfriend books. And most recent, the recent one is random notes, random notes about life stuff and finally learning to exhale. Yes. And random yes. notes is full of wonderful essays. It's essay driven because I'm a busy mm-hmm. woman and there's a lot of women who are busy women. So I figured you yes. could read a piece at night, read yes. a piece at the bus stop, read a piece on your lunch break. Mm-hmm. And I get these mm-hmm. lovely notes from women that say, girl, I didn't read it from the beginning. I read that one that said, what can a diva do when a scarf tries to kill her? You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> I've had some scarves that always have tried to kill me, you know, and tried yes. to bring me. And she said, but I'm going back and I'm going to read everything. So I love getting these notes of how people love it. And this mm-hmm. lady from England wrote to me last year. She found a copy of Venus, which is still online, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble Online, et cetera. And she said, I love the Venus Chronicles. She said, it's such a great day in England. I was taking this train, and I was laughing out loud. <laughs> and people said, what are you reading? She said, I'm reading this delicious book from this writer <laughs> in, in the States, you know. 
So my books are called girlfriend books. And uh, Random Notes uh, is fun. It's about day in the life, but it also has some serious issues. Um, My beloved husband has some health issues, and uh, I write about what it's like to deal with a day-to-day care when he's had some health episodes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank God he's on his feet and uh, still mobile and still have most of his faculties. Yeah, yes, there you go. uh, But there are many of us who are dealing with loved ones who are having some health issues and what it takes to keep them healthy and keep them from being depressed and keeping yourself together in the the long run. Mm -hmm. And then there are also many of us who've had problems with their with their scars and their body falling apart. And in one of in random notes, there's a piece that called now that I've got my mind together, the rest of me is falling apart. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love it. Oh, I love it. Yes. Yes. Okay. This is the one I'm going to have to add to my collection for sure. Because boy, if that's not the truth. (laughs) You read all these wonderful books about Socrates and and all these other people. And then next thing you know, you're walking, your knees are creaking. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I tell you, I love that. What a piece of deliciousness that we can just have throughout the day to keep us, you know, together. Help us to embrace our humanity. Yeah, yeah. And if we can find some humor to get us through to keep us off the edge, boy, I tell you. Or just hear that someone else can relate, that they understand. Like, that's one of the big things with my podcast is that you're, you don't have to suffer in silence. You don't have to feel like you're alone going through some of these serious things. I'm sure there are a ton of women that cannot wrap their mind around their partner of 45 years having health issues. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it's just something that some women are really struggling with. And so it's a breath of fresh air to have someone like you that, you know, writes about these things and just puts it on paper for us to just once we see it on paper, like, ah, I can resonate. Oh, I'm oh, not alone. Oh, yeah. okay. People tell me that a lot. They're like, girl, I thought that was the only one lady said, and people run to tell me things. They share things. Oh, girl, I was thinking about you the other day when I got to work and I had on two different color shoes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that probably been something I did. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. That's it. And then one of my other books, my newest books, is called Gilded Pearls. My mother survived the Great Depression, so we never threw anything away. We always reuse or had new purposes. And throughout my life, I've always tr- uh, tried to repurpose or find new uses of things that we save throw away and it helps us save time and money. But one of the things I want to share with women, if they have not done it, I'm a shoe whore. I love shoes. Uh-huh. So in the back of my door, there's two shoe bags. One day I was in the house and I discovered that I was like, you know, what would happen if I put this shoe bag on the inside of my linen closet? And I had one with a clear pocket and honey, you can corral so many wonderful things in there. So on the inside uh-huh. of my linen closet, ladies, there's a shoe bag. That's a great place for those two-for-one meds that you get, extra soap, extra razors. My little husband can never find anything. He's like, do I have any more disposable razors? <laughs> now he knows to look in there and see if he has any disposable razors mm-hmm. and toothpaste and anything, shower caps, hygiene things. And because the pockets are clear, you can see see what you mean when you go to the store and it's a wonderful use also if you have children little small things that kids that you step on you can put those in the boxes those who are crafters put crafting supplies in it Mm -hmm. hang them on the back of the door no one is the wiser 
Love that. That's one of the many, many tips found in Gilded Pearls. Yes. Well, I was breezing through it, too. I told you the day that I got the books in the mail. And I was like, you even signed this? Thank you. Oh, she's so giddy. So I'm flipping through. I had a client to see. But I'm like, oh, my gosh, I just, I can't, I can't. And I looked up. I was like, okay, I'm supposed to be in session right now. So let me put this to a side right quick. But I felt like I went into that counseling session with all of this extra wisdom riding on my shoulders. I'm like, I'm a professional today with years upon years of wisdom right now so you're in really good hands I mean I just felt like I was on cloud 209 in that session so and the books came at an amazing time so thank you so much for those you're um, so very welcome as we and share I, I, I give some books away to people one of my whole goals is I wish I had I could afford to give books away just so women could enjoy it and laugh and reminisce yes. and just feel good and there's a lady that's at the clinic where we go a lot. One day I went and she checked uh, us in and she wasn't her, she was professional, but she wasn't her, uh, her cheerful self. Yeah. And so the next time I said, I was going to the appointment, I'm going to take her set of my books. I took her a uh, set of, um, I took her the Venus Chronicles and random notes. And she was leafing through it. And there's a big front desk where they take your points. Uh, she was, there wasn't anybody there. And I was sitting there waiting to be called back to the doctor's office. And I saw her slide away from her desk and she's looking in her lap and then all of a sudden she bust out laughing <laughs> and so I tipped up and I said girl are you reading she said girl I cannot wait <laughs> she said I'm already tickled and she had leased through one of the I guess she had leased through one of the titles and had started that and she was already cracking up she said oh my god how did you know I needed this she said I suffer from a little bit of depression and I said, I, the day I came, the last time I came, you didn't look like your normal self. So I hoped that my books would kind of up, give you some uplifting. Mm-hmm. And she said, that is just amazing. And that just made me feel so good. I love that. You're doing a lot of good to women that you might not ever have the opportunity to, to meet. But just know I hope so. you are doing some good in this world at a time where we need it, where we need females that are encouraging us, that are keeping us, like you said, keeping us together, you know, mm-hmm. where there's no competition. It's just just opportunity for girlfriends to share some stories to have some mm-hmm. fun to laugh and that doesn't necessarily need to be wine and whiskey i mean we can oh, no. sit with the book and just yep. chuckle and and reminisce on our own stories as it relates to what you've put into your into your book so yeah mm-hmm. you are doing some amazing things i just I'm hugging you again through the podcast <laughs> you know you <laughs> i'm just oh i tell you i like I said, I've got to have you back just so we can, you know, have round two. And I don't even know what that looks like. I just know that it's needed because well, I'd love, love to come back for round two. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that is wonderful. Okay, well, go get some dinner so he doesn't have to have TV dinner, popsicles for dinner tonight. <laughs> I do not want to store. I do not want to be the reason why he is fussy for you because all they're talking about woman again, I tell you the truth, you know. You're so busy with all the interviews that you do anyway. So the fact that you carved out some time for me, I'm just really grateful. Oh, this, it is my pleasure. I was looking forward to this. I've really enjoyed myself. And thank you so much for having me. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Big, big hugs. Big hugs. Well, I'm back to you. I appreciate you so much. You have a wonderful evening. Thank you so much. And we'll continue. Let's continue to be in touch. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's the plan. Okay. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
<laughs> you have a wonderful evening, Miss. You Ms. do the Carol. same. Okay, bye bye for now. Bye bye. <laughs> I hope you all enjoyed our podcast today. Miss Carol is such a breath of fresh air, such a comfort. Just, yeah, she's a joy. You can read more about her books on her personal website, www.venuschronicles.net. I'll put it in the show notes as well. We didn't discuss it much in the podcast, but she also does consulting work with people that want to put their ideas on paper. If you're interested in blogging or maybe even writing a book, she helps you navigate that process. And I'll put a link to her uh, consulting page on the show notes as well. I hope you share this podcast. She is definitely one whose voice I want to be heard throughout the masses because she really does bring a piece of comfort and, and peace and ease. So share as you see fit. I thank you. That's all for now.